This podcast is proudly sponsored by Simmental Australia. The versatility and strength in both maternal and terminal trays should make Simmental's your first choice crossbreeding partner. So isn't it time you took your Simmental advantage? Welcome back to the final episode in the first part of this Australian Simmental Association podcast series. Over the past eight episodes, we've had a look into the last 50 years from the very first calves that were born in Australia to searching the world to find out more about the breed and the opportunities that it presents. We've sat down with a range of people who have been integral in shaping the breed into what it is today, while also being a big part of what the future of the breed can be. This week, we're sitting down with Cam Emerson, and later in the episode, we're joined by his wife, Carol. Cam and his wife, Carol, have spent most of their life living off the family property, which is located near Coleraine in southwest Victoria. Cam had a successful career with the Swire Group. However, when his brother passed away in 2003, Cam and Carol made the decision to return home and continue the family's farming interests. In our chat, Cam shares more about the family business his life and career with the Swire Group and the family's ongoing involvement with the Simmental breed. Cam, we're, um, we're up here in Sydney. How, how was the trip up from sunny Victoria? Well, the trip up was excellent, actually, Ollie, because um, we're running some of our wiener heifers at Holbrook. Uh, we bring them up there each year uh, to grow them out and join them in May. So we were able to call in and see them on the way up here, uh, which, was, um, which was great. They've only been up here for about five weeks at this stage and uh, they're doing extremely well. We do this because it's a bit warmer than spending the winter down with us in uh, southwestern Victoria um, and then be able to come up here to the show and uh, and spend some time and be with other members of the uh, Seminole Breed Society and be at their 50th anniversary is pretty special. Yeah, a weekend which uh, people will be talking about for quite some time probably. Well, I, I would guess so, and uh, and for us, of course, it's important as um, as Alva Court had the first um, first seminal calf born Victoria back in seventy two. So it's pretty special for us to be able to be here as breeding continuously uh, for all that time uh, to be able to come and celebrate here with the others today. Yes, on that. So um, with with your business and your property, whereabouts is home for you? Home for me now, well, Carol and I have lived in Geelong uh, most of our lives uh, because I've worked for 35 years off-farm with the Swire Group and uh, it was only when my uh, brother, who uh, ran all the um, Albert Downs properties, when he uh, passed away in 2003... Um, we decided that we'd come home and sort out the family things, which has to happen in all families, of course, as you know. And we both decided rather than um, perhaps sell up and walk away, uh, we decided to run it as a business. And so we uh, went and sourced employees, and uh, that's been always, it's always been operationally run by our employees, which we've been fortunate to have very good staff. And so the business runs on, which has been great for us because we really enjoy it. It's our golf in retirement. <laughs> Lovely. Keeping you busy. Well, yeah, it keeps us busy, and, but it also keeps us with a 
fantastic interest in something that we've both enjoyed all our life, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more what you were doing with the Swire Group? Well, the Swire Group in Australia, uh, as you know, um, they had four major businesses. They, they were in cold storage and, and uh, in Sydney and or around the East Coast. Um, they had Clyde Agriculture, where, which was based virt- uh, virtually at Burke in New South Wales, cotton farming. And then they had our transport operation, which was Transwest, which I started as a young guy there in um, 69 and uh, spent a lifetime there and worked my way through and ended up as managing director of that business for Swires. And uh, in that time, we had a very interesting career in so far as what was available and, of course, the contacts with um, Hong Kong, with Cathay and everything else in a worldwide group uh, led to the... Uh, to opportunities that were wonderful for both Carol and myself during our lifetime. And then to come home and be involved now back with the, where we started is a bit of a, a bit of fun. Yeah, going full circle. Well, I'm, I'm interested. Tell me a little bit more about, so obviously you mentioned your brother. Um, where was home as a kid? Where, where, whereabouts did you guys grow up? Yes, we all, we were, all grew up at... Uh, Near a little town called Marino, um, our really our major area was Passchendaele, and Passchendaele was formed after the First World War. They split it up for soldier settlement. Uh, Struan was the old property, and they split it up into a soldier settlement that um, was named at Passchendaele, which was part of the uh, Gallipoli campaign. And so uh, I think there was about 26 soldier settlement farms were staged in there and we were on the edge of that. We came up, or Dad came up there and uh, settled on the edge of that area back, but back in, the, um, in about 1935, so before the war. And then uh, that's where we are and that's where we still... We still own those properties there now and run them from there, yes. And, and so for you, as a, as a kid growing up on the land, a question I do, I love asking people on the podcast, is, is reflecting back, because people in agriculture obviously are incredibly passionate about what they do, but as a kid on the farm, what, what was the childhood? What, what was it that really lit a fire, got you excited about agriculture? Well, I think there's lots of things that happen uh, when you're born on the land. Uh, the first thing is, uh, when you think of it and look at it today, uh, is the schooling side. And um, in those days, there was a little school at Passchendaele and then it closed down and, uh, and we went down to Talisker and then we all then they had a consolidated system where they picked up all these little schools from around the Territory and uh, took them in and consolidated them in, in our case, Merino. Now, I think one of the things that used to, makes me laugh now is um, we used to ride to school on horses. Um, and I think I started riding to school at about four or five. And one of the things that um, are quite interesting, I think, is it taught you uh, at a very early age to... Uh, Respect your elders, and um, 
there's one good reason for that, is when we used to ride to school, the older kids used to have the job when you arrived to unsaddle your horses and put them away. And um, they always got off a bit early in the last period to, uh, to saddle the horses and help you on and send you home. And, of course, what used to happen if you're a young bugger and you, or young person and um, you gave these older kids cheek, <laughs> they'd let the girth loose. <laughs> and they'd come to the first corner and you'd fly off because the horses knew where they were going. And, of course, you had two things. You had your knees scarred then from falling off on the road and then eventually your father would come and pick you up and give you another smack on the tail for falling off and, and interrupting his workday. So I think that was an interesting lesson in how teaching young fellas respect, and I really mean that. But anyway, yes, but, and it's through those sorts of things that um, you either love being in that environment or you don't. Really shaved you. I was gonna. How many times did you fall off, Cam? Not often. <laughs> <laughs> you had a few blokes that might have fallen off after you. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> <laughs> and so the interest in in agriculture to to lead down more of a corporate path. Well, what was it that yeah through through your schooling that ended up shaping you to look at going outside the farm gate? Well, I think that um, in the in the sixties. Um, things were, we'd expanded our, our farming business. Um, um, we'd bought land down at um, Branksholme, um, a new property there that David went to live on, uh, and I was actually living on the Albert Downs property. And we just felt that the business could be uh, managed uh, well by amalgamating it all together and um, uh, my parents had moved from the property uh, at an early age and uh, left it, uh, not left it, but we took it over from them. Um, and then I just felt that it didn't need two, two people to run this one business. And so um, David being married... He was the ideal person to take that on and he had a, a wonderful, uh, interesting cattle and everything else as has been proven now 50 years later. And uh, I enjoyed the opportunity of uh, going to Geelong where we started and uh, this career within Swire, uh, as I said, took us through a, uh, a very exciting period for a young person which I enjoyed while still having the interest in the farm yeah and and really quite an evolution of agriculture in Australia well in the in this last period in this 50 years yes and I mean you know there's been another one in that's just happened in the last three or four years with uh, the prices when you have a look at uh, our wiener cattle in um, in 1972 72 or 74 were making 183 dollars a head and the same cattle today, last January in um, in Caston made twenty four hundred dollars a head. It just uh, is a big difference. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Real evolution. I think um, I was, there was a, a talk recently, and it was the, the the last time that land prices went down in Australia was around that 
forget my dates wrong, but I feel like it was in the 80s and they right. only dipped for three months or something. They've never... Yeah. Farming land's never gone down. No, well, I think I, I think for everyone that understands uh, businesses um, from an investment point of view, farming land has been uh, a great thing to be involved with. Um, there's been times when, as we all know, with droughts and now floods in New South Wales, that you've got all your challenges, but uh, in the long term, yes, it's a very secure place to have your money invested, I think. It's certainly uh, yeah, a, a very interesting industry when it comes to the people, isn't it, at, at all levels? At all levels, yeah, exactly, yes. Is there, is there something, before we get, go back to talking about um, your property and business, but that, but that time with SWI, is there, is there something that really stands out as a, a key pillar or cornerstone of, of your career that you're really proud of? Oh, there's many memorable things, Ollie. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the great attributes of Swire was their ability to um, to pick people and uh, to put people in the right positions wherever it was in the world. And uh, I guess, without talking about myself too much, but um, at one stage in the uh, in the eighties, it would be, I think. They picked 20 young guys from all around the world. Um, there were two from Australia. I was fortunately one. And they sent us to France to INSEAD, to the college. And we had um, six months or more there at that, st- at that time. Now, out of those 20 uh, people, one uh, left, left Swires, the other 19 of us all made managing directors of our various businesses around the world, which I think just shows a wonderful trait that Swire has with its employees, and I think that that's probably, from that point of view, that, uh, a major thing. Um, from uh, a personal point of view, um, I really enjoyed, obviously, what we did and the... Um, contacts and the people we were involved with within the transport in- industry and also in mining and everything else with the likes of BHP and Orica and those companies, um, that, um, that yes, that was, when you look back, a very rewarding career. And, uh, and something which flowed on, did you, did you end up leaving Swire in, when it, in 2000 or 2002 when it was that you ended up Coming back well, you in. see, we, yeah. Well, when no, well, when we started, um, when I started, I actually we were driving. I was driving trucks. We they won a contract with BHP at uh, Groot Island, and uh, I went up there with seven other young blokes, and we um, drove trucks up there, uh, carting the manganese ore from the crusher to the wharf, and of course, BA, at, the, at that time uh, when we arrived. Their own company drivers all went on strike and so um, we actually transferred from TransWest payroll onto the BHP payroll and technically what they did, they just hired the trucks then from TransWest and we were BHP personnel. So I can say I've worked for BHP for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Moved around. Yeah, so that was an interesting... But that And that's where it started and we just... And they allowed people... Uh, to work their way through the business, yeah. Coming coming back into the family business, what, what was that like after a, a few 
quite a few years in the corporate world. Well, um, it was well. Obviously, it was sad in my way because I'd lost I'd lost my um, sister-in-law uh, earlier, and then and then my brother. Um, and apart from that side, uh, to come back in and to uh, to take on the uh, operations and management of Alva Downs um, really wasn't a difficult process because I'd been involved with it all my life, even though it was as a silent partner, if you can say, because I was in partnership with my brother. That's, that was it. And we were the two. And so... It, was, it wasn't a matter that it was new or anything that foreign to me at all as far as that goes. It was just a matter that uh, this was a business that we had and I guess if you look at my own corporate business, if you have a business that's not going well or a new business that needs to be turned around, it's, it's a challenge, it's not a problem. Simmentales offer the commercial industry a crossbreeding option and no other breed can match. Fast weight gains and superior milking ability are just a couple of the advantages you will gain when Simmental genetics influence your breeding program. Whether you breed them for the Vila market through to the heavy export market, there is a Simmental option out there in the colour of your choice. Isn't it time you took your herd to the next level in performance? And and you've really focused on bringing good people into your business, and you're yeah. fortunate to have had quite a few over the years. Well, yes, we have. We we started off with, um, with people that had been there and had some involvement with my brother, but then that all, all evolves and changes and everything else. But we haven't had many. We've only had uh, over the twenty years that we've been running it. We've only had three operational managers and. Uh, the other staff that are there to assist have been long-term as well, and uh, that's a great situation to have. So your business today, you've got a, a couple of different sides to it. Can you tell us a bit about yeah what you're running uh, and what it looks like? Well, it's very much similar to how it's been set up for a, for, for a very long time, Ollie. It's, um, we run a purebred uh, similar herd, about 120 cows and we run a purebred Hereford herd of about the same and uh, they're our base they're our base source of genetics and uh, in the originally of course in uh, David's time there was everything done with AI and whatever else Uh, we chose since uh, I took over not to continue with that and the input that you need to be able to uh, do AI. And so we just went back to the old natural mating system, and so we buy our, our um, bulls for those two herds from mainly Woonalee and Lakeside now and, um, and in Jamira on the, on the Hereford side. Um, and so... Going back to where this all started with the Simidals, it started because Alva Downs wanted to uh, bring in the traits and the maternal traits of the um, of the Simidals to go with our European breed, like the British breeds, rather uh, Herefords and everything else. So um, 
by doing this, we, were, we set about to have our own bulls, to breed our own bulls. And that was the basis originally of why the Simital were brought in. And that's exactly what we do today. And uh, the bulls out of those uh, herds, both herds, the Simitals and the Herefords, are used in our commercial herd as, as so- terminal size. And so there, there was a couple of, of options, really, wasn't there? there? You can either really breed for the, the show side, um, yep. or, or as you're saying, you guys really focused on bringing those genetics right back into your commercial herd. That was the, the driver for you? Well, it, yeah, more, so than, more so, so than the show side. But in the 90s, um, we did uh, sh- show a couple of times uh, the Melbourne show, and uh, that was very interesting because um, we had a bull called King's Ransom that was a junior and then grand champion sire at that show. Um, these, there were other shows that were Donga and, and that that we did show in for that period of time, but it wasn't the basis of our business. Um, showing's a very specialised part of the industry, um, but it wasn't one that... Really, we wanted to push just for itself. We were more interested in the commercial side. Yeah, and as you said, so you guys were really, you were involved in nearly day one or, or on day dot of of the Simmentals coming into Australia. Well, yes, as I as I recall, it's a fair while ago now. Um, but uh, David, my brother, and Dale Baker um, were very very instrumental in pushing this and bringing uh, semen in. And um, it's my memory, if I can put it that way, um, that uh, the Bakers had the first calf born over the border in, uh, in Millicent in South Australia and we had the first semi-calf born here in Victoria. Um, and... Uh, that's my understanding of how things go, so that comes back to why it's important from a 50-year point of view for us. Um, but then the one thing that is is certain is that we, Albert Downs, had the first crossbed simital wiener calf sale in 1974 in Caston. And how did that, uh, that very first sale go? Well, it was quite interesting <laughs> when you look back because um, who knew that in 50 years... We'd be here sitting here talking about something that, you know, David and, and, uh, and his people at that time, uh, there's a photo here which you might want to have a look at, Ollie, where um, there's David and Henry Hopkins and Robert Beggs and myself and Ian Neal um, there at the Castleton Wiener Sales and... Uh, those people were all involved for a long period of time, so there you go. And it's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Where, where the, the next generation's really coming through from what were, who was pictured and, and what was pictured in that photo. It it really has been fifty years of um, of family businesses that have really yeah. been instrumental. I, that, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's exciting. What else have you seen happen over those fifty years? Well, I think that. <laughs> what's happened when you have a look back actually uh, at the British breeds at that time and the European breeds that were there and what they brought to the British breeds here in Australia, I think though the thing that Australians should uh, 
take a lot of uh, pride in is that the structure, the, the type, the quality and everything else of all cattle in Australia, but in particular when you have a look at the, um, the seminal breed, how it's been fashioned to suit Australian conditions, uh, the t- type of carcass that we're now um, wanting to breed, uh, to grow, uh, to, uh, yeah, to breed, um, and with all the attributes that uh, we're looking at today, where you know the grass-fed and all of the marketing that is needed and and the uh, security that's required as far as um, um, food production in Australia is concerned, and the way that we have been able to to uh, improve and modify and and develop a, a, a new animal you know we're really nearly at a stage i believe where we could say that it's um it's an australian seminal as such um you know because all right our genetics came from the Sine valley in switzerland 50 years ago but now i think that what we've developed is a is an article that is is very very much australian it's a, it's an incredible evolution over the uh, over the fifty years. Yeah, exactly. And I, as I say, if you just go and have a look at, you know, the the the, um, the shape and the size, animal and everything else, and and how it's been by very very good Australian farmers, and in this case, similar breeders, how they've been able to fashion this. And that comes back to your, your stud people and, and everything else. And, and it just shows in the commercial situation uh, with what those progeny are bringing now. Yeah, very, uh, very healthy and happy results for, for plenty of farmers. Good, yes. So your family's involvement has been really with the breed. You've, David, particularly for, for you guys, has been there since the really early days and, and building um, what is the Australian Simmental breeds today and, and the association david um during his time was was really involved really closely wasn't he he was president oh, yeah well yes and uh, i mean it was um it was his uh view that uh that simmental was the best uh european animal to put over our british breeds uh and that's been proven now in 50 years but you know, it wasn't just from from that point of view. David was very uh, instrumental in the breed being here in Australia, and uh, and served on uh, served that that breed very well. He was uh, on the federal council, a life member, um, and uh, and spent virtually his whole life involved with beef production in Australia of which Simital is a very major part. In, in terms of looking in a crystal ball, <laughs> and this is something I'm going to ask everyone, 50 years the breed has gone a long way, as you said, from $182 to over $2,200 in the sale. $2,500. $2,500. Uh, where, where, where do you think the breed goes in the next 50? What are the, the things that are going to... Really, yeah, continue to, to see it as a as a real front runner, Ollie. I think that that's an amazing question, and if I was able to answer that, <laughs> you and I would both be 
doing something else because uh, <laughs> who who knows? But I I don't believe there's any any doubt that um, uh, that these these sorts of cattle uh, will continue. There's no reason why they shouldn't because they're adaptable. They're like anything else. That if you want to grow a business, if you want to make a business, and it is your desire, and that's where it's great. I just saw a couple of young kids there in the show yesterday, 19, showing cattle. That's terrific because in 50 years' time, they can still be there in the industry. And I think that uh, what they will have and be able to do in their 50 years will be phenomenal. But what it is, I wouldn't... (laughs) I wouldn't dare comment. So we'll just say it's it's going to going to be uh, more people who are incredibly passionate about yeah, the breed exactly. and, and seeing it succeed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Got a um a mid podcast call up, Carol. Um, welcome. It's it's great to have you jump on as well. Good morning, Ollie. Can you can you tell us? Well, firstly, you've been involved in the business for a, a very long time and around the breed. But w- what's your background, Carol? My background is. Uh I come from uh, a little further north from where Cam was born, from a little uh, country area around Donald. But we were mainly croppers, certainly not in the stud business, but mainly croppers, the general sheep cattle business. So, yes, I was like Cam, brought up on the land all my life, but not on a horse. We had motorbikes. (laughs) And you didn't have people playing tricks on you with uh, undoing girths or flattening tyres? No, no. Oh, flattening tyres, that would have gone on a little bit, but but no, country life was very good. Carol, you were listening um, to the conversation, but the, the piece around where food's going and where beef's going, you, you're interested in that area and, and see opportunities. I certainly do. Um, my... Uh, involvement with the food industry was with television commercials and writing cookery books. So my um, interest in food was right across the board. Pork, chicken, beef, lamb. And then, of course, having uh, a gorgeous brother-in-law and and Cam saying beef is best. And, of course, I'm thinking of put pork on your fork and working for the chicken industry. And there was always the arguments about the cost per meal, chicken versus beef and so forth. And, um, you know, we used to talk about the cost of uh, how many meals you'd get out of one chicken versus how many meals you'd um, be able to supply with, you know, a piece of beef. And, of course, the tenderisation was always part of the topic. Yep. You don't really get a tough chook basically, and so, of course, um, that's where this breeding came into it, the marbling, the, the way to cook it, the, um, the teaching of how to cook a good steak, not to crucify it, and hence, you know, you have all the fantastic chefs in Australia teaching the consumer how to really cook beef. Please don't crucify it and don't have arguments around the barbecue. <laughs> well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you think mm. of all the passion and energy that goes into everything that everyone's doing and it, it, it honestly can be you've got the, the wrong person 
standing over that barbecue and it can be the worst thing, worst experience you've ever had. Exactly. So, so going back to uh, your questions when you were talking to Cam was uh, the Simmental breed. Well, I think they've done a fantastic job. They've got the um, marbling right and that, of course, makes for better eating. It's the taste factor. And I think all of that has to go into the mix of uh, where every cattle breeder is going in Australia. And, and you think there's a, a real opportunity in that consumer engagement and consumer marketing? Definitely so. And the beef industry has pushed it. Yeah. They, they really have. They've gone around and they go to the shows and teach people how to cook and... Um, your master chefs, your every program. I mean, there's the food stations, and we didn't have that thirty years ago, let alone fifty years ago. Mm. And I think the the younger generation has got that absolutely in their hand because uh, everyone should be able to cook now. And and especially over the last few years we've really seen that where that the the dining has wind back and people have been experimenting more at home and, and trialing new things it's people are learning to cook again and isn't it exciting it is a question i'm going to ask both of you to finish off on but what's exciting about let's just about the agriculture industry broadly for the generation that's coming through today well it, obviously the 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 great thing, because after all, while you're in business, it doesn't matter what business it is, you're in business because it's profitable. And I think one of the most exciting things that about our industry at the moment is, in particularly at the moment, is every section of it. It doesn't matter whether it's grain or beef or lamb or anything at all, chickens, as Carol was mentioning. Every one of those industries at the moment is profitable. And if you're involved in them... Uh, you know that you're in a business where if you do the, jo- the uh, job properly and you manage it well, you're going to be profitable and at the moment very profitable. And I think that obviously that's one of the major things that is exciting in regards to what we're doing and, and this p- period that we're in now. Simple as that. It is, it is. And Carol? Anything to add to that? I was a bit like Cam yesterday to see the young people just adoring their stock, just living with them and walking them around the shows. And you could see the animals were just so content with their owners and it was just terrific to see the younger people so involved with it. That's fantastic. Well, Carolyn, Cam, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat and being part of this Simmental um, conversation. Okay, well, Ollie, thank you very much, and uh, I hope all goes for you, well for you in the future too. Thank you. Good to chat. Well, that's a wrap on the first part of this series, celebrating the Australian Simmental Association and the breed's 50 years in Australia. So far, we've sat down with eight incredible people who have been an integral part of shaping the breed into what it is today. And make sure you stay in touch, follow this podcast, and we'll have more episodes dropping very shortly. This podcast is sponsored by Simmental Australia. Unlock the potential in your herd and take it to the next level in performance. It's time to take your Simmental advantage.